Support for the show comes from Kohler. Smart lights, smart refrigerators, smart locks. The list of smart gadgets meant to make life more convenient grows longer and longer every day. But what about smart things that are also beautiful things? Luxurious, even. Meet the Numi 2.0, Kohler's smartest toilet yet. The Numi 2.0 is a fully connected oasis of clean and comfort with unmatched sculptural design. More than a toilet, it's a work of art. Make your bathroom the smartest, cleanest, and most comfortable room in your home with Kohler. Learn more at Kohler.com. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are an APY. APY can change at any time. Hey, everybody. It's Dion from The Vergecast. On this week's interview episode, I talked to Davis Guggenheim, who just directed the Netflix documentary Inside Bill's Brain. It's a three-hour documentary about Bill Gates. He had two years of access to Gates. Guggenheim directed An Inconvenient Truth. He directed It Gets Loud, which is a documentary about rock guitarists, which I love so much. But for Inside Bill's Brain, he had just total access to Bill and Melinda Gates for about two years. It's a really deep look at Gates's personal history, his relationship, his family. It also has a really interesting structure, so we got into that. This was a really fun conversation with a great filmmaker about how he does what he does and what he learned about Bill Gates. Check it out, Davis Guggenheim on The Vergecast. Davis Guggenheim, welcome to The Vergecast. It's really nice to be here. Nice to meet you, Eli. Yeah, so I, I want to talk about Inside Bill's Brain, which is a documentary you just made for Netflix. But first, can I, I tell you that you made It Might Get Loud, which is one of my favorite documentaries of all time, uh, because I, I just love people like using their tools, and that is just a bunch of wild guitar players using their tools. Thank you. I, it was really fun to make. It, did you notice any, like, did Jack White and Bill Gates have any similarities? As you like? <laughs> um, let me think about that. Because It Might Get Loud was, uh, it was Bono, yeah, I'm sorry, it was The Edge, Jack White, and who was the third person? Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page. Tell me if there's any similarities between those three and Bill Gates. Jack White, I would say, well, actually all three, I would say extreme focus. All three of them, but especially Edge, you could go, I'd be filming with Edge, and if we stopped to move a light or a camera, he would um, just sort of start working and start working on his guitar or fiddling with gear, and you could just let four hours pass, and he wouldn't, his head wouldn't come up. He'd be, he'd just, if you give him a free second, Edge would just go right in and start doing what he does. Same thing with Bill. We were, we were shooting in, in Hood Canal and we were in this little, the think cabin that's in episode two. We said, hey, we need five minutes to move a light. And he walked outside and just opened the book he was reading and just read standing up with one foot on his knee. So standing on one foot, reading a book, meaning if you give him a free second, he wants to engage his brain again. And I, I would say that, would, you know, other than that, Lifestyle is very different <laughs> from, from, from Jimmy Page and Bill Gates, for sure. I can imagine. Not a lot of scarves in the, in the, in the documentary that I watched with, with Gates. Uh, and not a lot of uh, worship of the occult, either. <laughs> That's great. So Inside Bill's Brain, three-part documentary on Netflix. I, I, I just watched it this week. Tell me how this project got started, because you, have, you got a lot of access to Gates. And it's obviously on Netflix. It's an unusual structure, this you know, three one-hour episodes. Tell, tell me how it came together. So I was making the film Waiting for Superman, and we were 
almost done, but it felt like it was missing a voice. And uh, Waiting for Superman was about public education. It's like, how does the sort of failure of our public schools affect business? And you know, you, you, what better thing to talk about someone who's in Silicon Valley, or at least the business of Silicon Valley? He's up, obviously up in Seattle. But what does that do to growing the best business in, in, in America? How do you find talented, educated people? And how does, that, how does failure of our schools, of some of our schools, I should say, many are do really well, but how does that affect our growing economy in the business in the in the tech business? And he, so I went up and interviewed Bill, and he was so great and so surprising that that I was like, wait a minute, this this person needs to be reconsidered. Uh, because to give you some backstory, I was a I got a Macintosh in 1984. I was the first person in my dorm at Brown to get one. <laughs> I think there was like ten had arrived at Brown, and everyone on my floor huddled around this magical computer. So I was a Mac, I was an Apple guy, and you know I always thought. Steve Jobs is cool, and Microsoft was like for the business people, and you know, I, so and, and I sort of held Bill Gates in my mind in, in arm's length. I was like, he's yeah, it's just business guy, and maybe he's a monopolist, maybe he's not, but you know, I like I like Mac. And so when I finally met him, I was like, wow, there's something he's doing right now that needs to be understood. He is he has really changed his public image, and I kind of want to get into that part of it because the way it, inside Bill's brain is structured literally inside of every episode, it's almost like a thriller of like the project that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is doing, whether that's toilets or nuclear energy or the vaccinations. Then there's like the history, which I think is what most people kind of assume you're going to get, right? We're going right. to tell the story of Bill Gates from start to now. But there's this like thriller component of the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation happening inside of it. How did you decide to, to like make that structure go? I started filming and, and, and I actually got lost and was like, I don't know how to make this, you know, and I, uh, because a lot of the work they're doing is super complex and also not necessarily dramatically. It's not just add water and the story tells itself. Right. And so I, I was experimenting with this kind of way of cutting back and forth between his biography and the work that he's doing. And the first time it worked was when I, and it's in episode two, I think is when he's, trying to figure out why cases of polio keep popping up all over Nigeria uh, and Afghanistan and Pakistan and why past efforts had failed and how he used sort of his brain, how do you delve inside his brain to, to sort of like crack that? Because people have been trying for years, they thought they were getting close and then it doesn't work. And what I thought I'd do is, is show Bill in the early days in high school cracking the class schedule. It's a sort of a famous story where his private school asks Bill a sophomore. I think they ask him when he's a sophomore and then he does it in his junior or senior year. But they say, hey, you're, you're good at this computer thing. You know, there's a ter famous, there's a terminal in a school. There's only one terminal in any school in, in the state of Washington. You say, hey, you're good at this coding thing. Can you code the class schedule at Lakeside? And so he and Paul Allen stay up all night figure out how, to, you know, because uh, his lakeside had, had merged with a girls' school. So they had all these different classrooms, different campuses, and Bill and Paul used sort of their brains and their sort of algorithms to crack that in the same way he cracks the algorithm or tries to crack the algorithm for eradicating polio. He did things like digital mapping and predictive analysis on where cases of polio would show up. So the storytelling the whole storytelling for all three episodes follows that one example where we cut back and forth between something, some way in which his brain worked or, his, uh, or something revealed in his character in his historical story with what he's doing now to reveal how his brain works and how, you know, how he solves problems. So you obviously got 
all this access to Bill, to Melinda. You got a bunch of archival footage, I guess you would call it, of them when they were young, when they were dating. There, there's video of Bill hugging his kids when they're babies, which like broke me. Like You don't ever see that side of him. How did you go about getting access to Bill for the project? Well, it's kind of the condition that I make for any movie. When I flew to England to to meet Jimmy Page and talk him into doing it, might get loud. I was like, if we're if we're gonna do this, you got to open up to me. I want to ask any question I want to ask. I want to put everything on the table because that's you know that's what if if, if you're gonna do a movie, if you're gonna go make make that effort, you got to open yourself up. And the same thing I did with Bill. And I have to say, of all the people I've ever made a movie about, he was the most open and the least concerned about. Oh, you know, don't go there. Don't get this right. I mean, I went, I went right into, you know, the depositions for the antitrust case. You know, there's pretty harsh stuff in there about how the world sees him. And I put all, if you, if you, even if you go and watch the trailer of it, the trailer and the opening of the movie of the series is, is this guy a good guy? Is this guy a bad guy? You know, one, one voice calls him the devil. I really wanted to say, I want to put it all on the table and say, who, you know, let's, let's put everything on the table and let's, let's consider this man. Did they, did Bill get any edit control? Did they get to say they didn't want anything in there? No. What I do is for every movie, I'll, I'll, when I get a cut that I like, I'll go and show it to people. So I show it to Jimmy Page or Edge or anyone else or Bono or Malala, just because I want to make sure that I didn't miss something or I didn't miscategorize something. And often, in every case, you sort of they say, "Oh, well, you know, what? There's another piece of that story that I didn't tell you." And usually, it gets better. But nothing was—I I didn't take anything out that I didn't want to put in. So there's this sequence you're talking about the antitrust yeah. uh, piece. There's a sequence where you ask him if he was arrogant in the antitrust depositions. I thought this was great because, you know, this is a, a heavy topic now. We actually talk about it on this podcast all the time. Like, are these companies too powerful? Should they get broken up? Microsoft was arguably the first. The current yeah. president of Microsoft, Brad Smith, he just yeah. wrote a book about basically asking the government to regulate tech companies. Right. Um, it's very interesting. But yes. it, he, Bill Gates was the first. As you note know in the documentary, he, he stepped back from the operations of Microsoft to handle the trial. Right. He gave this famously bad deposition. Yes. And you ask him if he's arrogant, and he, he was like, well, look, when you're a 20-year-old billionaire, sometimes when, – when you were getting that answer, did you sense that he was – that he was shading or was he just telling you what he thought? He was absolutely shading. <laughs> I think you watch what's what's fun about watching the movie and, and we I put the full answer in is that he didn't want to say he was arrogant. The fun thing about making a movie is um, one of my great teachers taught me this about storytelling is that, you know, that the filmmaker's job is two plus two. The audience's job is four. That sounds like a really pretentious film school way of saying it. But the idea is I ask if he was arrogant. He gives an answer. It's up to you and the audience to say and decide whether he's arrogant or not. So I, I like to leave, put that in there and let the audience decide for himself or herself. Do you think that arrogance, however he wants to think of it, is an asset to him in his current work? That's a good question. That's a really good question. I'd have to let him answer that. I mean, I think intense focus, I think being very certain, I think maybe with a touch of arrogance gets to this place where you're cutting through a lot of bullshit. So that is, and let me, let me qualify this answer by this is my answer, not his answer. But I do think that effective people in the world have to cut through bullshit. They have to cut through groupthink in their own group, in their own company. They have to cut through how the bureaucratic nature of a big company slows things down. So if arrogance, you know, if like 5% or 12% arrogance and certainty 
and bullheadedness is effective, I wouldn't mind that. I think sometimes a director of documentaries has to be (laughs) bullheaded and arrogant sometimes. But then you have to sort of, you know, put guardrails on yourself. You have to sort of have, you know, a fuse on that so that you don't go too far. And I think clearly you see footage in there from the early days of Microsoft where Bill Bill clearly went too far. Yeah, I mean, that's actually the one... The one piece of documentary that I I don't know how interesting it would be to everybody. I kind of understand why it wouldn't be there, but it's very interesting to me is Microsoft was a ruthless company with Gates at the helm. And you you wave at it a few times, right? They yeah. buy their competitors or they they crush them. Obviously, Netscape and the antitrust trials there. But there was lots and lots of other stuff they did to ruthlessly destroy their competitors along the way. And that was all Bill. Was there a moment where you're like, I need to focus on that stuff more or say, I just need to say it once and move on? There's other stuff that's more important. Yeah, I mean, the the the, the focus of the series is really not about that. Um, I put enough in there to acknowledge it and say this happened. But it wasn't an expose of the tactics of Microsoft in this period of time. And so j- just like the movie doesn't get into all the details of the antitrust case. It doesn't get into all the details of why Bill thinks that they were maligned, nor does it get into all the details of why people think Microsoft was wrong. That wasn't the focus of the series. The focus of the series is a character study of a, of a guy. And, and what is he doing with his life? I thought the most interesting part of the entire thing is when you were alone with him during his Think Week, and he's alone in the house, and he's reading books, and it over time, you see the Diet Coke cans pile. Like, <laughs> Again, like I have spent time with Bill Gates. He's actually been on, on this show before. Uh, I've never like seen the richest man in the world open a can of Diet Coke. Right? It's like it's just, <laughs> most people don't have that experience. And most people don't have the experience of now he's got four empty cans of Diet Coke from his fridge full of di- like that it's just very human and very he's very he's literally alone. What was it like to go into that space with him? Well, it's so interesting because you look I'll, I'll pull the curtain a little bit on making documentaries. You know, you, you say, okay, well, here we are. We're doing a time lapse of you working, right? And we're gonna, you know, we're, we're gonna start you reading at, in the late afternoon, and then we're gonna have you reading and working till night, so that we get a sense of time passing. And you know, I've done this in different projects and stuff. And usually, it's like the person says, "What do you want me to read? Like, what page do you want me to be on?" And for Bill, it was just like, "Oh, I get to read." <laughs> And so uh, I number the book. It's in the it's it's uh, Tara Westover's book, the ed, uh, book Educated, which he just picked up that day. It was on his list, and he just and he read for like an hour and forty five minutes. And we're all moving around, we're moving lights, and we're moving camera positions. We're all whispering, but I'm telling you, the guy just he read as if we weren't there, and and drinking diet cokes at will. Like that's just sort of like you know us taking a breath. So it, it's it's kind of astounding his focus. Us having cameras and lights was really un- uninteresting to him. It was more like, oh, I get a quiet moment to read. I'll, t- I'll take my quiet moment to read. What was it like setting up the, there's many shots of him using a computer and you were saying yeah. like, you, you tell him what's like, what was it? Lo- we're like, Bill, just use Excel for a while and we're going to take some beautiful B-roll of you. Like I, that to me, like we, you know, we make videos here. And so I'm thinking right. like, how would you set that up with Bill Gates? Like we would, how would I even ask that question? I'm very curious. No, in this case, you just say, hey, Bill, uh, um, we want to film you at your desk working. And then he just does whatever he wants to do. <laughs> That's great. I, the, the one thing I did tell him to do is like, there's one, this is the end of the day, and I knew he played online bridge. And he say, hey, I was like, hey, why don't, you play, why don't you play online bridge now? He went and played online bridge for 45 minutes. Um, but again, once I said to do it, he just was like, he could care less that we were there. He was trying to win the bridge game. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from Kohler. 
I think when we think of design, we're like, beautiful poster, gorgeous graphics. But I also think design has like a place in making sure that people feel the best that they can be. Hi, I'm Laura Delorado. I'm a group creative director at Vox Creative. During my nine to five and my five to nine, I've always got good design on the brain. It's metaphorically and physically glowing. It's like the Aurora Borealis. Which is exactly why I was so excited to meet the new Me 2.0, Kohler's smartest toilet. On first introduction, it legit just waved a hand at me. Not actual waved a hand, but the lid moved up and greeted me for the use. But right now we're in a showroom, so I can't actually use it. Functions like this, a hands-free greeting, and form combine in the Numi to elevate the everyday. It's a sculpture that begs for someone to like rest their body on it and walk away feeling really comfortable. A temperature-controlled bidet, the heated seat, automatic self-cleaning cycles, access to smart home functions thanks to a built-in Alexa, the Numi's got it all for everyone. The bottom has this really beautiful green glow, and it's almost as if they knew that was my special color because if you go into my bathroom at home, the entire bathroom is a mint green. It's like the new me knew that I was showing up. And what's really cool about this is that there is this like circular sphere metal piece that like allows for you to change the color on the bottom. So if I'm not in my mint green era, which I often am, I can be in another era, my like calming blue, my like rosy pink, like whatever I need to feel. It's, it's like the Sistine Chapel of toilets. Experience a fully connected oasis of clean and comfort with the Numi 2.0. Learn more at Kohler.com. Support for the podcast comes from Hymns. Look, we all need help, but for some of us guys, it can be a real challenge to be so vulnerable. There are just some things we'd rather keep to ourselves. Hims knows how you feel, which is why they're looking to provide you the help you need, discreetly. Introducing Hims, a men's healthcare product looking to provide simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for men. The entire process is 100% online, so you can get a new routine of improving your overall health in private. If prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. No waiting rooms, no pharmacy visits. So while it can be tough to deal with this part of your life, it doesn't mean you have to do it alone. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash verge. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash verge for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash verge. Prescription to require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash verge for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So another huge character in this documentary is, is Melinda, who yeah. um, you actually you make the point that for a while Bill was the face of the foundation and she had to make this this choice of her own to become a prominent figure and stand next to him. And I think just the funniest the funniest moment is when you tell her the title of the thing called Inside Bill's Brain and she just start, <laughs> she loses it. And she's like, yeah. I wouldn't want to be in there. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's just like literally one of the funniest moments in a documentary is like someone's wife being like, I don't, I don't know about his brain. 
I'm assuming everyone's wife feels that way, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure mine does. How was bringing her into the piece? Like, how did you're, you're making a documentary about Bill? It's obvious that he wants her to be as important. How did you think about bringing her into the piece and into the forefront? Well, it's, what's interesting is that Melinda is in every single way an equal partner. So, you know, getting on Bill's schedule is one thing, but getting on Melinda's schedule is another because they're both doing so many different things. She's writing her book. She's at the foundation. She's got the issues that are really important to her. And so once we sat down together and she realized that this was like, hey, I just want to figure out who this guy is. She was like, oh, awesome. I finally get to tell people who this guy really (laughs) is. And you realize that she is so incredibly warm. And one of her gifts, I mean, she's so smart. Her work is on its on its own is incredible but i think one of her gifts is that she gets and interprets and understands bill in ways that people don't like she helped me like in the series are these every episode has me and bill walking and we walk through these different locations and and she gave me this idea she was like you know i find that bill is the most open and um relaxed and expressive when he's moving you know, so like when he's really into something and passionate about something, he'll pace in the living room or in the kitchen because he's just, his mind is moving and it helps him to get the flow of his ideas going. And so I was like, wait, maybe, maybe we should do that. So she gave me the idea of going, taking these walks. So that we, what we do is get these steady cams and we would, fu- and it would be behind us. So Bill just was, was just concentrating on us walking and where he's going. He didn't see the crew, but he didn't know there was a steady cam following him. And two sets of steady cams that would sort of take turns because you know on, in this giant loop, but she gave me that idea, and it was her. It was it, it makes you realize two wonderful things. One is that she has an intuitive sense of how he works and what he needs, and he understands that value that that she gives to him in that partnership. Yeah, I mean those shots are incredible. I mean that's that's when you're doing the quick fire. What's your favorite food? What's your favorite animal? Right? Like yeah, and it, he's just answering. It seems like there's another partner in the mix, which I think historically people know about the Gates-Warren Buffett relationship. But it feels like you captured another side of it, which I just don't expect Bill Gates to look up to anyone or need to please anyone. And it it seems very much as though Buffett plays that role for him. It's paternal almost. It it does feel paternal. It's kind of 50% paternal and 50% like 11-year-old boy. Like they're both like 11 year old boys. (laughs) They sit down at this diner and Warren takes the bun off the burger and takes two salt shakers, not one, and just floods one side of the, of the (laughs) patty and then flips the patty over and does the other side. And then of course they both have milkshakes and it's two little boys, except two little boys that are super smart and they're geeking out over things that you and I wouldn't geek out about. But for them, it's like, it could be you and me talking about, you know, fast cars or a cool computer. They're talking about like algorithms and the state of the financial system in Singapore or something like that, you know. And um, but it is also paternal, like like you said, Bill. He said this thing that really strikes me. It's in the movie. He says, "I thought in my whole career that that people would be asking me all these tough questions about his business. This is at the height of Microsoft." He goes, and "No one was." And, you know, the famous meeting where Bill's mother said, hey, I want you to meet Warren Buffett. He's coming to the thing. And Bill says, I don't have time. And his mother says, you have to meet him. So he takes a helicopter. He says, I'm going to only be there for a little bit of time. And I'm going to chop her in, chop her out because I got a code. 
And the famous story is that Bill does it reluctantly, sits down with Warren, and then they talk for six hours. And I think what's so interesting is that Warren could speak at Bill's level and could ask him these really tough questions about, okay, why, why is, why is um, software going to sustain itself as a business? Why is this not a flash in the pan? Where is the business going? How do I compare you know, Microsoft to you know, the train industry? Why are your competition not going to just totally blow you out of the water in a couple of years? All those big questions that you think that as you imagine the sort of executive offices at Microsoft, those people will be asking. Of course, they ask some of it, but not in the way that Warren did. And I think what's so wonderful seeing them together is they both do that of each other. Like Warren will say, okay, so you know, polio cases are up this year. It was 10 last year and 20 this year. That's I'm paraphrasing. He goes, why are those cases persisting? What are, what are you not thinking about? Have you thought about this? And so it is wonderful that Bill sort of like becomes a student and warns a teacher. And, and, that's, and that's kind of surprising to see Bill because in so few cases does he walk in the room and he's not the most well-read, most informed person. Yeah, every time I've interviewed him, I've likened it to talking to Alexa. Like, <laughs> if you, I mean, if you get if you get the right keyword, it, it's an encyclopedia gets read to you. Yeah, the only thing I can beat him on is like obscure Wes Anderson movies. <laughs> he's not he's not studying up on uh, on Wes Anderson movies. He's you know he's, he's probably seen one or two, but he hasn't seen them all. So I get, <laughs> like like I was only like I'm trying to think what areas of knowledge you know, like you know or the Smiths or you know. Of the Velvet Underground, like yeah. I, I could beat, I could beat him on that shit, but nothing else. Everything else, like his brain knows in every category, every other category of my intelligence, he can destroy me. Yeah, the next time he comes on the show, I'm gonna be like, all right, let's talk about Clash B sides. <laughs> like, that's what I, it's like. Where I'm at, that's what I got for you. Um, so I want to talk about the the foundation side of things, sure, because they are working on it, and like those scenes with Buffett where they're talking about polio is very powerful. The right. building of the of the waste processor is very powerful. There is a big critique right now of billionaires doing philanthropy, right? I think yeah. Anand Giridharadas wrote the book uh, Winners Take All. He's like billionaires are are laundering their reputations by doing this philanthropy selectively. It's not great. We should rethink this system. It's not that critique is not really present in the documentary. But were you thinking about it, and how do you think? How are you thinking about that now? It's funny. I did ask him a lot about you know, what gives you the right to go in and try to solve these problems? And what's interesting is the answer was so obvious that I didn't put it in the movie. <laughs> um, it didn't seem dramatic enough. It, did, it, it felt, his answer felt too, it felt like I was actually giving a pass. I'll give you my point of view, which is that some billionaires are laundering their reputation. Uh, and worse, some billionaires are putting undue influence on important issues. So I, I think that's a really important question. It's a very topical question since because there's a massive imbalance of wealth, full stop. However, there are millions and millions of children who are alive because of what Bill and Melinda have done. They said, you know, the vaccinations that our kids get in the Western world, poor kids are not getting in, in, in the third world. And they took their expertise, their influence, their money, and their expertise to say, how do we get, how do we make it cheaper? How do we get access? And, and you should get the numbers, but it's, it's, in, it's in the the high millions of, of children, mostly a lot of children and other people who are alive because they're getting vaccines, they're getting health care that they wouldn't get. And Bill and Melinda deserve a lot. You know, they work, they work with a lot of other organizations, but the emphasis they put on it, the expertise, the focus that they do is saving millions and millions of lives. 
And it's not just, it's, it's interesting. The impression people get is like, oh, they just, they do it by spending money. It's actually not the case. That, that the, actually, the amount of money that the foundation spends is a drop in the bucket compared to what governments spend. It's teeny. Like if, if, they, if the Gates Foundation spent all its money, they, they could spend it all like in a year and, and, uh, and finish itself because there just isn't enough money to get all these problems solved. So my, my critique of Bill and Melinda is a good one because they're, they're actually using their money and their influence in an incredibly important way. And if you look at episode three, which is about climate change, Bill is using his incredible brain and his knowledge of technology to, to, to push and accelerate new technologies, including reconsidering nuclear, to find a way to get clean energy. And without that, I would be so much more dark about our prospects in the world because I like saving energy, but we need massive breakthroughs. We need massive breakthroughs in technology to solve this problem, and not enough is being done in that regard. And Bill, and, and I'm not saying Bill's going to do it, but my money is on someone like Bill to do it. And so I'm glad that he's doing that. I'm glad that he's spending his money and his influence in this direction. So what was his answer? Similar, but not as good. <laughs> All right, I'll take it. But it is, it's like, no, I, I mean, I think his answer was, and it's been maybe a year since, so I'm taking, I'm paraphrasing my memory, which is, it's a very good question. You know, uh, you have to be really careful about how you're spending your I don't think he's putting his levers on our political system, yeah, which is dangerous. I don't think he's putting, you know, undue influence uh, on sort of the more scary things that, that 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 rich people are doing. I think he's using his wealth towards good, and I'm glad he's doing it. Yeah, when I had him on, I asked him about um, modern monetary theory, which is, and he was like in it, right? He's he's Bill Gates. He like had a clear answer about what he he thought it was, but he. I think recently he gave an interview. He's like, well, I support a wealth tax, but it's complicated for all these reasons. And I, you can tell he's thinking about it, but he's not. I think he's willing to let that side go because he's got these other problems he's focused on. And it yes. seems like part of the part of the answer here is, well, I have a lot of money. I'm really smart. Smart people like working for me. There's no market for better toilets. I'm just going to pour money at them until it works. And it it seems like that is just as simple as the answer can be, but he never really quite says it that way. Yeah, I mean, his his answer was very cerebral and much more complex than I could put in a movie. But it was essentially that. And you mentioned toilets. Uh, when I when I pitched the series to Netflix, I was like, I'm going to make the best episode about toilets you've ever seen. <laughs> and, I'm, I'm, and that sounds like hyperbole, but it wasn't. And they were kind of like, what? And and I said that on purpose because, first of all, I did make an episode about toilets. I made an episode about shit, actually. And you see a lot of human feces in this series. Sorry if that turns you off, <laughs> but but it's true. But what is interesting is that, and it's another argument for why I'm so glad Bill is on this planet, is that shit and human feces is not something people want to talk about or deal with, but it's why a lot of young children die. That you know, we can do all this thing about getting people clean water, and we can send money to these villages to get them higher rates of living, but as long as you don't solve the sanitation city, sanitation problem in some of these poor cities where there's not good toilets, not good sanitation systems. People shit in the street, they shit in a creek, and the water goes down the stream, and kids play in it, and they get really dangerous diseases, and they die. And so Bill says, well, fuck, we gotta, we got to find a way to reinvent the toilet, because you can't put a modern toilet in a modern uh, sanitation system in one of these big cities or one of these... And, uh, and he's spent the last five years trying to redo this, and he's getting close 
it's another reason like who else would do this? Who else would put their mind towards reinventing how a toilet works? We don't even want to think about a toilet and you know uh, in our office or our home. We just want to do what it takes to use it and get out of there as fast as possible. Bill Bill doesn't mind focusing on these problems that no one wants to focus on. I think that's what makes what he does so extraordinary. So as you're going through it, what's the thing that surprised you most about Gates? He's very emotional. That actually is hugely surprising. I think the rap he gets, and by the way, the first three or four interviews, I didn't always see emotion. You know, and Melinda talks about it as like, you know, when they're all watching a movie, uh, the kids notice that he's, he, he's the first to cry and he cries a lot. And I think he presents because his intellect is so, so powerful and he believes so much in sort of rational thinking and optimization of things that he, le- he always leads with that. And he actually thinks that sort of emotions, I'm, I'm, this, is, this is me speaking for what I think he thinks, which is, I think, he, I think he truly believes that, you know, emotion shouldn't cloud your decisions. And that too often, you know, businesses and nonprofits and foundations, their, their decision making is clouded by emotion. Certainly it happens to me all the time that he wants to be analytical, that he, that he doesn't sort of share that side of him. And that's a shame. And I think, I think the series starts to reveal that of him. And I think, and I think it's, you, you see someone who is, who is very driven by wanting to do good in the world, driven by a sense of deep, deep unfairness that children on the other side of the world are dying you know, for things that his children have. Yeah, there's a, you have a scene where he's going through the, the stats of how many kids have polio and how many people he can save. And I think you say something like, well, that's not very inspiring. And he's like, yeah, so what? And it occurs to me that he's the person who needs to be inspired. Like he's got the money and the power and he actually doesn't need to inspire anyone else because all the inspiration and awareness raising that goes on right now, the way we're structured anyway, is that he's, it's him. He's got to get affected. And it sounds like you're saying he is actually deeply affected. He is deeply affected or else why wouldn't he just be like, you know, why wouldn't he just be just like buying art or, you know, huge toys like other billionaires do? I mean, I actually don't know why he doesn't. I'm only guessing why he doesn't display his emotion more. You know, people think of him as this sort of like analytical guy who doesn't have emotions. I think he's, he's deeply emotional. He just doesn't show it. I think people also think of him as a huge nerd and you show him playing tennis. Like, like that, it was like very surprising. Well, the funnest, the funnest interview was when I, you know, I, 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 I literally wrote a hundred questions with my writer and um, I had him at the net and I literally asked a question every time he hit the ball. <laughs> and that's, and, and that's one of my, it's, I think it's my favorite scene in the, in the series because he doesn't have a chance to think because he's, he's trying to hit the ball right. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's pretty good. You know, he's just like not what you expect. And he's, he's like kayaking. Uh, there's an entire side there. So last question. There's a lot of scenes of him driving you around in a car. It seems like a very nice Mercedes. Right. What kind of driver is Bill Gates? Very good, actually. Does he, does he go fast? He can. Well, it, in the, the series opens with him getting the famous uh, speeding ticket in Albuquerque at 2 a.m. in the morning. And, and that mugshot, if, if, if your listeners, most of them probably because they're tech people, know this mugshot. But if you haven't seen the mugshot, it's Bill mugshot being caught for speeding with this fl- flowered shirt with big lapels, big wireframe yeah. glasses, and the hugest shit-eating grin <laughs> <laughs> for being arrested. Yeah. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, but he, uh, when I was with him, I wasn't terrified. He's a good driver. He's a good driver. I can imagine. All right, Davis Guggenheim, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. By the time people listen to this, it's on Netflix, Inside Bill's Brain. Thank you so much. What a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you so much. 
Uh, where can people find you if they want to tweet at you or something like that? I'm not. Uh, I'm on Instagram. How about that? Yeah. Davis Guggenheim on Instagram. I think it's Davis Guggenheim one or something like that. Awesome. All right. My thank you to Davis Guggenheim for joining us on the Vergecast. You can check out Inside Bill's Brain on Netflix now. If you're a Vergecast listener, it's worth it's worth your time. It's very interesting. We'll be back later this week with the chat show, then the interview show, then the chat show, and on and on and on through tech season, which is coming fast and furious right now. You can tweet at me. I'm Matt Reckless. Love to hear from you. Talk to you soon. Thank you to Kohler for supporting this episode. Who says smart things can't also be beautiful things? The Numi 2.0 is Kohler's most advanced toilet ever. Equipped with fully customizable bidet, heated seats, automatic cleaning cycles, and on-demand smart home functions thanks to its built-in Alexa. The Numi 2.0 is a fully connected oasis of clean and comfort with unmatched sculptural design. Customize the lights to match your interior or your mood and enjoy an immersive, intuitive experience of personalized luxury and cleanliness. More than a toilet, it's a work of art. Learn more at Kohler.com.